Hello and welcome to episode 96 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that complains that Battle for Baldur's Gate isn't as powerful as the original Commander Legends while conveniently forgetting the whole breach was in that set, but this show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott and I'm joined by the Dawnbringer cleric herself, Emma. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Busy with Battle for Baldur's Gate uh, coverage, mm. previews and the rest of it. In terms of content this week, I'm looking at some of the best cards from Baldur's Gate for Pauper because there's quite a lot of good stuff. There's easily two dozen cards that can see play yeah. in the format, we think, which is awesome. Also, I'm covering Bant and Zori's Spirits as my Modern Honor budget article this week, so that'll be up soon. And then I'm looking at some of the best sort of pickups from Baldur's Gate as well. Thinking of Commander, but thinking of some reprints for like Modern and, you know, and yeah. so forth. So you can check those out on TCG Player now. This is going to be a lot of coverage ramping up to release in a few weeks. As you would know as well, I suspect, it gets a bit full on at this time of the Mm -hmm. year. Otherwise, I haven't had time to do much else. I've been a bit of a hermit and just getting on with work. Uh, So how about you? (laughs) What have you been up to? I've been busy, for sure. I actually have a somewhat similar article out this week. It is about budget cards, specifically affordable staples uh, from Baldur's Gate, so new ones. So I look at cards that are coming out of the set that are likely to see a lot of play in the future in commander and that would make for good pickups now so Mm -hmm. if you like this episode which is also very similar this (laughs) might be right up your alley so that's live on card kingdom you can go check that out after the show as well as for me we've got something special in fact i have two special things to mention Uh today i've been a bit busy first of all I am starting my own weekly commander stream every Wednesday at 10pm Irish time, which is 5pm EST and 2pm PST. It's called Risky Keeps. The first episode is going to feature yourself, yours truly, Mm -hmm. and the lovely Max Makes Magic, as well as Aaron, who is a great friend of mine from my own regular playgroup. So there's already going to be a little bit of banter going on. So that's going to be a blast. If you're listening to this actually as a patron on the Wednesday, you should be able to catch it in time. But if not, it's fine. The VOD is going to be up on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash Savantir. And I will also have some amazing guests on over the next few weeks. So keep an eye out for that. The second bit of news that I have as well is that I'll also be making it to Command Fest Birmingham on July 9th and 10th. Woo! Yeah, it's going to be great. I can't wait. If you're going, keep an eye out for me. I might have a busy schedule because I am going to be meeting so many different people, wonderful friends that I've made through Twitter and haven't actually met in real life yet. Possibly, very, very possibly, you know, some random person that like I've had nearly 100 episodes of a podcast with. Never know, maybe. <laughs> yeah. if, if the stars align, who knows? Um, <laughs> but if you see me over there and if you're listening, uh, absolutely come over and say hi, 100%. Doesn't matter if I'm playing a game, doesn't matter if I'm... The only times not to come over and say hi is probably if I'm in the bathroom. Yeah, don't yeah, come in there. That's not great. But yeah, any other time is, is generally fine. <laughs> if you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. Not only will you get access to all of the show notes and deck lists, but you get to listen to the new episodes a day earlier than anyone else. Visit patreon.com forward slash the BM cast to join today. There are also free ways to support them too. Just listening to the show is already great. You can follow them on their Twitter at the BM cast as well, and even DM them for a link to the discord server. No matter your budget, we'll make sure you get your stonks on. 
Alrighty, so, with all that said, Emma, I believe it is your turn for Card of the Week. What have you got? Tis indeed, and it's a recent one from Kamigawa Neon Dynasty's Commander release. I'm sold already. <laughs> uh, I didn't realise this card existed until I was looking through, and I was like, wait, this seems cool. Proves that I don't look at blue cards that often. So this is Cyberdrive Awakener, which is an artifact oh, yeah. creature that is a construct. It is a 4-4 four, four for 5 generic and 1 blue mana. And you get a really cool effect with it as well. So it comes with flying. Other artifact creatures you control have flying. And then when the Cyberdrive Awakener enters the battlefield, until end of turn, each non-creature artifact you control becomes an artifact creature with base power, toughness, 4-4. Four, four. This is just really great when you've got so many tokens and treasures and food tokens and just yeah. given how easy it is to make treasure tokens, especially with Baldur's Gate coming out. It just yeah. gives you something to do with the excess treasure. You can get into combat. The fact that it gives them flying for the turn, which makes it really evasive. So it's just a kind of sort of creative behemoth-esque yeah. effect, I guess, um, if you've got enough tokens. Makes Banner Rocks really good in the late game as well. You can use those Soarings to punch face. It just seems a really strong effect, and just given the amount of emphasis on token generation, especially artifact token generation, yeah. this just seems really good. It's really, really good. I think it is one of the sleeper cards of that Commander release, for sure. So, moving on, we are back talking about Baldur's Gate, because, well, it always feels like preview season never ends. And as of the time of recording this, technically, it's not even over, because we haven't seen the Commander precons yet. So... Nope. It never ends. Monday, Tuesday, they come but, out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, this week. <laughs> yeah. Oh, never God. Ends. Okay. So, what we are going to do, however, is we are going to pick through a couple of the cards that have come out. Now, most people have already talked about, you know, the, the bigger, you know, splashier mythics and rares and, like, wild commanders and that kind of thing. Like, there's only so much that could be sort of said about them, like... Take, for example, like that Teamer Dragons one. Everyone is losing their damn minds about it. They're like, oh, copying dragons and all sorts. And it's like, yeah, it's great. But like... The mythic red dragon that creates more treasures based on damage. Is it ancient yeah. brass dragon or something like that? Like, they've all been spoken about. They get wrong. They're great cards, but... Yeah, but everybody's got basically the same opinion on it, where it's like, these are nutty cards. And it's like, you know, we, we want to give you some more value than like literally the same opinion as... as you know, everyone else will have on these cards. So because of this, and to fit in with the budget sort of aspect of things, we are looking at some of like the, the cheaper and more affordable cards and not just for Commander. There will be a couple of bits in there for the likes of Popper and that sort of stuff as well. So with that in mind, speaking of Popper, why don't you kick mm -hmm. us off, Emma, with the first one? Yep. So the first card on my list is Winter Aladrin. It is a 2-2 Fairy Elf Wizard for two generic and a blue, and it reads... When Winter Eladrin enters the battlefield, return up to one other target creature to its owner's hand. The important mm -hmm. thing here for Pauper, it has the fairy typing. So it is yeah. a man of war for Is It and Demir fairies in Pauper. Mm -hmm. Works amazingly well with Spellstarter Sprite. You can either bounce the Spellstarter Sprite back to your hand, or it helps the trigger ability on Spellstarter Sprite to counter the spell. You can bounce fairy seeds back to your hand so you can get a couple extra scries. Really good against opposing Gurmag Anglers as well, because they've probably delved a bunch of cards away and you can just bounce it back to their hand. Yep. Unsure where it fits in Demir and Is It Fairies, because those creatures are very oversubscribed, as in it's pretty stacked. Yeah. There's a lot of good value in this, so I don't know where you fit this, but I can easily see a couple of copies, because it's just Man of War or Fairies, yep. and that just seems really good. Yep, Fairy of War seems good. 
very full. <laughs> <laughs> that took a second. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of cards that common, there is one that was previewed in the final list dump there on the last day, and that is Decanter of Endless Water. It's three generic for an artifact that taps to add one mana of any color, and it has the line of text, you have no maximum hand size. So this is an excellent three mana rock. They keep making really, really good three mana rocks, incentivizing you to actually use them rather than just going for the most efficient two mana ones. I am a huge, huge fan of this. One of the reasons why we end up in the likes of, say, like Nitro Casual and that kind of higher power level of casual is to have faster mana and that kind of thing. And two mana rocks definitely contributes to it. They're not the biggest offenders, but they definitely contribute to it. This is just another one of those tools that you could put at the three mana rock slot and just put them in your deck to have additional utility. Yes, Thought Vessel exists, but that taps for colorless. So what if you have like a three or four color deck and you want this effect, you can now use this. Sure, it's a three mana rock, but if you're playing casual, it's not that big of a deal, really. Especially if everyone else starts adopting the idea of using these really cool utility three mana rocks, because they're also just really good top decks in comparison. So yeah, they're, they're very good. Decanter of Endless Water is one of the many good three rocks that are out at the moment. And I am loving this trend. So yeah. I thought I'd mention it here. Yep. Um, it's one that's definitely going to go in Tasha when I build Tasha Witch Queen because not only is mm. she multicolored, she's a like a blue-based control deck. So I'm going to be drawing a lot of cards. So that, that clause of yeah. no maximum hand side is really, really useful here. Like, I saw Fourth Vessel, I can see why people play it, but the fact it's colourless just feels really clunky, and the fact that this just seems like a straight upgrade to me. Yeah. Um, next up is one that I've always been a fan of these kind of effects in Commander, and that is Slaughter the Strong. So, mm-hmm. uh, for one generic and two white mana, you get a sorcery. Each player chooses any number of creatures they control with total power four or less, then sacrifices all other creatures they control. Um, I'm a really big fan of these effects just because it gets around the indestructible clause, Mm. which is often a a thing in Commander. And it's the kind of board wipe that doesn't necessarily quote-unquote psychonic rift, as in it just doesn't reset the game. It actually helps end the game in some way Mm. because some creatures still stick around, which presents some inevitability instead of just like psychonic rifting and then everyone has to start again, which isn't fun. I'm not a big fan of psychonic rift myself. But yeah, it's just a really cool, cheap, affordable... Uh, board wipe that's still uncommon I thought it was downshifted but it's not it apparently was downshifted in Commander Legends 1 but it's still a cool effect yes I have seen this used in Artisan Commander and it was to great effect there so yes I'm a, I'm a big fan of this one now the next one that I'm going to talk about again it's a common it showed up in the final list at the end of previous season there this is Reckless Barbarian one and a red for a 2-2 Dragon Barbarian. It has an activated ability where you sacrifice Reckless Barbarian to add double red. So this is pretty absurd in terms of acceleration. I know that in a lot of like faster, more competitive decks and stuff, like my Bergy deck, even though it's a budget deck, it's a very, very high power deck, it uses Skirk Prospector because it's one mana, it can sack for a single mana. That kind of effect is brilliant. Like You can play that on turn one, I can sacrifice it on turn two, and play Bergy straight away. With Reckless Barbarian, it's a very similar kind of effect, except being able to sacrifice for double red is pretty big. Like, if you have no other mana acceleration whatsoever, you play this on turn two, and on turn three, you can just play a five drop, which is pretty good. So it's also worth noting that it is a dragon, so you could put it into dragon decks as well, and there's basically no downside. 
So that's nice. Speaking of Bergy, actually, she loves this in particular because any of the creatures that sacrifice for the amount that they cost to cast in the first place actually just become rituals then because she will give you the red back. So I might be a little biased adding this one to the list, but it's very good. So It's a very cool effect, and it's not really an effect that mm-hmm. you see often. So it's really cool that they printed them, yeah. even at Common as well, because he's in Pauper Play at the same mm-hmm. time. Um, next up for me is probably one of my favorite cards from the set, and that is Displacer Kitten. Oh, yeah. So for free generic and a blue, you get a creature cat beast that is a 2-2. And it reads, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, exile up to one target non-land permanent you control. Then return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. While it's not quite Dead Eye Navigator, I know a lot of people have been comparing it to that. I don't think it's quite that, but the effect's still powerful and it's still pretty good. Mm. You can target itself with the ability if uh, there's a removal spell or something coming in the way you can just like cast a spell and then exile itself yep. it's just awesome for blink and spell heavy lists that just want repeatable etb creature effects this yeah. is on my maybe list for tasha just because i run stuff like baleful strix and these really just creatures that etb draw cards and make tokens but no it's just a really cool effect i'm a big fan of it and it's probably going to see a lot of commander play let's be honest yes an awful lot what i've noticed with this on twitter anyway a lot of people are talking about like combo lines with this you know so like doing flicker effects like essence flux and you know spell seekers and all this kind of thing but even without any of that just having creatures in your deck that have good etbs and you're just playing some spells anyway this is just going to give you great value you know like even if you're playing like say just a typical spell slinger list or something if you're casting like a cantrip you're just going to keep generating value even more than you already are so yeah i think it's fantastic like it is absolutely a combo piece but it's one of those fantastic combo pieces that are just good cards by themselves they're some of my favorites as well so yeah brilliant choice now this next one this is a good card this is a very good card i feel like it got a better reaction or reception than its somewhat recent cousin did and this card is cut a deal So it is two generic and a white for a sorcery that reads each opponent draws a card, then you draw a card for each opponent who drew a card this way. So if you have three opponents, they each draw a card and then you draw three. So this is like Secret Rendezvous, which, you know, split the player base into Secret Rendezvous is unplayable and Secret Rendezvous is brilliant. I was in the Secret Rendezvous is brilliant category because if you're playing politically, it's a fantastic tool. This, however, has different applications. So... First of all, what's important to note with Cut a Deal, okay, is that the cards that your opponents are drawing have low correlation between each other, okay? And what I mean by that is they're not being drawn by the same person with a single mind and a plan, unlike Secret Rendezvous. Secret Rendezvous, if you give a player three cards, they could just oops into something really, really powerful. It's much less likely giving each player a single card each. This means that, like, the likelihood that those three cards are going to synergize as well as the three that one player will draw with Secret Rendezvous is extremely low. Your opponents are also in competition with each other. It's not just all against you. So they're probably not going to use those cards just to specifically hinder you. And you're going to get a nice boost of cards. I think this is really, really, really good in more decks overall than Secret Rendezvous is because this will get you better benefit overall without having too much of an impact on the game. Compared to Secret Rendezvous, Cut a Deal is nowhere near as effective at helping other players. So it's not as good as if your friend is like mana flooded or screwed or whatever, and they just haven't got anything to do. 
then Secret Rendezvous can help pull them out of that hole and help enable a good game, basically. Which, you know, you should have some sort of contingency for that kind of thing in casual decks anyway, because everyone having a good game is sort of the core of casual gameplay. So helping people to enable that can be good sometimes. And Cut and Deal can also not be used to make allies as well as Secret Rendezvous can. So it is less political overall, though I do think Cut a Deal will just fit into more, say, like mono-white decks much easier as a result. So it's good. It's got different applications, but it's very, very good. I think this is going to be one that is going to see an awful lot of play. Yeah, especially that one card just doesn't feel a lot in a hundred card deck, you know? Yeah. This is it. Um, it's probably one I'm going to pick Quintorius, actually, come to think of it. It's always nice to have mm-hmm. a bit of card draw. So next up is probably one of the most playable cards to come for Pauper, and that is Breath Weapon. So mm-hmm. it is an instant for two generic and a red, and it reads, Breath Weapon deals two damage to each non-dragon creature. The reason it's going to see play is because it's, it's just an upgrade on Fiery Cannonade, which already saw a lot of play, especially as Breath Weapon hits Azure Fleet Admiral and Crimson Fleet Commodore, which are pirates that are high power that also come with Monarch, so that is pretty relevant here. Hmm. It will be interesting to see if dragons actually make an impact in Pauper. Um, you've got Stirring Bard, which looks to be the strongest one, which is the dragon hmm. bard that has initiative. That could yeah. see a lot of play. And then you have the Aventor dragons as well, which is a, like a cycle of common of those that could also see play. But if you're looking to just play like Fiery Cannonade Star decks in Pauper, just up, put breath hmm. weapons in, because it would just be much better. If you want that marginal yeah. upside. It's just one to keep out of. And rest in peace, tribal decks, I guess, because yeah. decks like elves just continually get punished. <laughs> yeah. I'm personally okay with that, so, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next one I have here is Candlekeep Inspiration. It is four generic and a blue for a sorcery that reads, Until end of turn, creatures you control have base power and toughness XX, where X is the number of cards you own in exile and in your graveyard that are instant cards, are sorcery cards, and or have an adventure. This is blue crater hoof. It's not actual crater hoof effect, but this is blue's closest equivalent in my opinion. It is going to be very cheap currently. It's listed as 25 cents in euros and like roughly 60 cents American. So super, super cheap. It's extremely powerful. It is nice compared to Crater Hoof in the sense that it's balanced because you have to have actually played a game before you can win with it. Mm -hmm. You can't just like stick out a few creatures really quickly and then just like ramp and slam a hoof. You could do that in green. You can't really do that in blue because if you do that here, your creatures are just going to get like parent toughness two or something, you know, that's nothing. So it does take advantage of Spellslinger token makers and that kind of thing as well as the number of spells cast so it really helps lean into the more traditional gaining value from casting your spells spell singer which i really really like i also think that counting the cards in exile that sort of crackling drake kind of effect is really really fantastic at sort of skirting around the typical spell slinger pitfalls like graveyard hate so i think this might have some legs nice I just think of Talrand the second I heard this card. It, it's loves 100% this. a Talrand Wincon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, so often, like we mentioned last week, Commander Legends tends to bring a couple of desirable reprints. We saw it with Bramble Sovereign mm. and Blade of Cells re- uh, revealed last week. This week, Kindred Discovery got revealed, which is a really big one yeah. for those who play Tribal in Commander. If you don't know what Kindred Discovery does, it is an enchantment for free generic and two blue. And it reads, as Kindred Discovery enters the battlefield, you choose a creature type. Whenever a creature you control of that chosen type enters the battlefield or attacks, you draw a card. 
before this reveal, and I think it's still at this price, it's around $25, just because mm. Tribal's really popular. People love playing Tribal decks in Commander. It's really easy, yep. it's really fun. And often these kind of effects are really desirable just because they're so good at what they do. They bring that value. Yep. And considering Kindred Discovery from this set comes with two different treatments, so you get the set mm -hmm. printing and the extended frame uh, printing means it might just drop down in price a little bit more. And it's a rare as well, which is a big thing. So if you look into play Tribal in Commander and you happen to be blue in your multicolor Tribal deck, uh, this is one to look out for. And you can also get it in foil as well because it was a Commander Precon card, yeah, I believe. it's true. Very true. I have a personal fondness for this version in particular because of the art. Um, okay. It's sort of Kenku-like bird people, and the flavor text in the regular version is a family that welcomes birds of all feathers, and they're just like surrounded by all nice little birds. It's yeah. real nice. It's pretty wholesome. Sorry, Merfolk. You suck in comparison <laughs> to lovely bird people. <laughs> uh, but to round things out i have one more card and it's not so much that it's like super super powerful super fantastic but it is very much a typical kind of commander card and that is split the spoils so for two generic and a green you get a sorcery that says exile up to five target permanent cards from your graveyard and separate them into two piles an opponent chooses one of those piles you put that pile into your hand and the other into your graveyard and it also mentions that piles can be empty. So you can do, you know, five and zero if you want to. But this is sort of a combination between regrowth and like a reverse factor fiction. What was it? Fortune's Favor or something was um, the spell equivalent to this? Yeah. So you can use this to cash in favors from opponents or allies. You know, you just be like, oh, well, you know, remember that time I helped you out there? I'm going to split this into, you know, four and one or five and oh or whatever and... You know, they'll they'll feel compelled to help you out. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. You're almost always guaranteed value because, you know, you'll be able to, like, even if there is no politics at play, you can split it in such a way that I'm going to at least get some good stuff back, you know, which is quite nice. I'm a big fan of these kind of things where you can leverage your standing between players to your benefit or to have some, like, you know, nice big payoffs or dramatic moments. And this is the kind of thing that will do it as well. So big fan. Plus, you're also in green, so whatever pile they put back, you can just e-wit or regrowth or dried reversals yeah. anyway. So, if mm -hmm. anything, you're just getting even more value. You can just kind of play, play people on that front as well. Because you're in green, so green just has those uh, effects in abundance. Yeah, 100%. So, that's kind of all the cards that we wanted to cover. In general, like there are an awful lot of really good cards in this set. The set's enormous, obviously, but... like. There are just so many good things that even down at like the common and uncommon level, there's some phenomenal stuff. Like I know that this set in particular is going to have a huge impact on like Artisan Commander because no rares and no mythics mean that, you know, when they print more powerful commons and uncommons like they have in here, it's going to have a pretty big impact overall as far as sets go. So that is really, really cool. There's so much in terms of like pauper and stuff as well like you said there's there's a lot of cards that people are going to have to experiment with to see where they yeah. land within the format and if it's going to be anything like the original commander legends which it looks like it will be it's going to be a lot of fun you know yeah. like with the exception of like hold breacher commander legends one was a roaring success i think it was one of the best sets that was ever made in my opinion uh, obviously i'm biased because i'm a commander player and 
I love partner and I love all those sort of stuff. But like the backgrounds in here is really good. I'm I'm not wild on initiative because I don't I think they could have leaned into it a little bit more, but you know, I think they were trying to play it safe as well. They didn't want to break it in half. So like that's fine too. But overall, it just looks fun. It makes me want to draft and play this set. Yeah, I'm really tempted to do it because I think there's a pre-release happening for this set and I'm really tempted just to pop to a... Like a pre-release or come out... It's like a uh, Commander Legends party, whatever they call it, where Mm. you just build a deck and you play with people. Um, I might be tempted to do that just because it's D&D as well and I'm a big fan of the world and the flavour just seems great as well. Big fan. Yeah, it's really, really sweet. Before the pre-release and before we go, Emma, have we got any Q&A? Yeah, we've got a handful this week. So we'll start off with Joe Chaney. Uh, they ask, what are your favourite pauper decks? Ooh. Let me have a think about this for a minute. Have you got so, any? So, one of mine is Azorius Familiars, um, but I oh, only yeah. play that in tabletop. I refuse to play it on Magic Online because it is terrible <laughs> to play on Magic Online. And I was also Agreed. a big fan of the older Bogles decks, like the four or five colour piles, where you had like flings and essence harvests and things like that. Bogles is really streamlined now because you have mm. like spirited companions and uh, commune with the spirits and stuff like that. But the old yeah. five colour piles of Bogles were always pretty fun because you had like different win conditions. So you didn't lose to a Stonehorn Dignitary or repeatable yeah. fog effects, which was quite nice. I think they're my two. Yeah, that's sweet. I think I have Azorius Familiars in paper myself and... I've been playing it a lot over the last few weeks and I've I've come to learn something about myself and I sort of knew this already from modern but I think I have only so much of a limited capability to stick with the deck that requires being galaxy brained 100% of the time. It's very hard deck. Yeah, like don't get me wrong, it's great, it's fantastic, it's arguably one of the best decks in the format, but I get real brain tired playing it. <laughs> so- the thing is with familiars, every card has a decision tree. Basically, yeah. So what I am considering doing is to make it a little easier on myself. I'm feeling at the moment I might move over to just big chonky Tron, just playing fatties. Tron's good. Cascade is good as well. There's a really fun cascade cascade deck that is essentially Ponza and it just runs all DLD and it looks really fun. I think that's like top eight, like a recent Mana Traders event as well. Um, That did really well. It's cool. Also, another fun deck that I used to enjoy was Mono Blue Delver when Mystic Sanctuary was legal. Oh my god. That was so is a disgusting. Common. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. That was so much fun. <laughs> I loved it, but everyone hated me. So Yeah, yeah. same. <laughs> <laughs> um, next up we got a question from Zach LW. Uh, what is your most hated deck to play against ever? Mine is anything Oof. that stops me doing the basic thing in magic. So drawing cards or playing sp- like permanent so stuff like stacks i'm not big on like mm. narset pyra veil draw seven styles decks because it's just not fun and that's yeah. the sort of thing for me anything that just uh, interrupts my basic the basic form of magic like drawing cards and playing spells i'm just not a big fan of yeah like aggressively um oh god see like if i was if i was a less experienced player i would have just said something like tron or whatever but like you <laughs> yeah. learn to just accept that sometimes they get you and like sometimes you just play a deck that they literally can't yeah. interact with so it's fine uh, lantern control but, was never big on either i think that's a good example yeah but i always found it fascinating like i didn't like the deck but i found it fascinating so i could never get too angry i think for me it's probably some form of like fires of invention deck sure. i absolutely hate them with a burning passion i absolutely could not stand them can't stand them in pioneer either 
I just oof, awful. It, it's just it feels terrible. It feels really terrible. It's like okay, cool. I have to kill you, otherwise on turn four you're you're basically just gonna stop me from winning ever because yeah. you're going to go so far over the top of me out of nowhere that it just feels it feels crap. Yeah, it's a hangover <laughs> so from Final Fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. yeah, I forgot about that card. Then mm. we have a question from Munsu Light. Uh, they ask more of a commander focused question. Do you ever feel that if people did not have extremely high expectations for a game, they would have more fun? I have no expectations all of the time. I just and then I just have the time of my life. I just go in with zero expectations. Like, what are your thoughts on that? So, simple answer: yes. If people did not have extremely high expectations for a game, they would definitely have more fun. The slightly more complicated answer is that, generally speaking, the answer is yes. However, there should be some level of expectations for a game. And I think that's where Muncie Light was kind of going with this anyway, is that like people should have expectations, just not so much, I think. Because you have to go in expecting that your opponents are going to play to the power level. And I mentioned the other day on Twitter that I was like, the number one thing that you can do when playing some untrusted play, so that's play with people that are like, you're not used to playing or you haven't played against before or whatever is to pull your punches in game one because you can describe your deck to the nth degree and people think they understand and you can go in and turns out your understanding of you know not that powerful or doesn't really have too much acceleration or whatever might be very very different to someone else's or their understanding of like stacks or tax pieces might be a little different or whatever so pulling your punches and maybe not playing certain things in order to just get a feel for what everyone else is doing. That's the real heads up play that people should probably be doing. And with that, that's the kind of thing where you go in and you don't have high expectations for a game because you're using it specifically to gauge where you're supposed to be at. And once you have that first game over, sure, you might lose or whatever, but two important things. One is you'll learn an awful lot about the people that are at the table and you know how to play and that kind of thing but also they're gonna want to play another game with you because you didn't go and like accidentally pub stomp them or something along those lines you know so generally speaking yes i think the yeah my answer is yes absolutely they people should reduce their expectations for a game but set a minimum level of expectation for other players and then also set expectations for yourself that you know this first game may not be a great game, but it's a, it's to sort of dip the toe in the water and get an understanding of what's going to go ahead. Because it'll also help you figure out, you know, maybe, I, maybe I'm just not vibing with what these folks are doing. And that's okay too. Like if you just walk up to a pod and like you try out a game and you get wrecked and you don't really like it, perfectly fine to leave too. Um, I know this is getting slightly off topic, but I think the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm, I'm similar. Whenever I play Commander, I have zero expectations because I'm just there to have mm-hmm. fun. I'm there. I see yeah. playing Commander as a background to hanging out with people and just as, yeah. a, as a way to be social. Um, I do think the people who have the highest expectations when they come to playing Commander feel like they need to win every single time, regardless of whether it's competitive or it's casual. They just feel like they need to win. And I think they need to realise that people are still going to like you if you lose. It's not results orientated. But yeah, no one likes, no one likes to try hard all the time. I just think it's good to just base it on a who you're playing mm. with and the power level but that requires communication doesn't it so it's yep. it's it's normalizing that conversation right um yeah i think that's where i stand um and then we've got a question from angelo they ask if you had to build a deck for your personal repertoire that was choose a background commander plus background which two would you pick 
Okay, so I had to do a little bit of thinking about this one last night when I was doing up the show notes here. I think based on what I like to do and play with in Magic, which is a pretty big part of my identity, you know, like we're all Magic players and stuff and Magic is a big part of my life. Um, I do think that Gale Waterdeep Prodigy will be the choice there. So, you know, playing with instants and sorceries and that kind of thing. And considering that I tend to have like a general entertainment kind of streak in most things that I do, like I used to play in bands years ago, I used to stream an awful lot i'm now streaming again i'm guesting on streaming i'm we've got the podcast and stuff i chose popular entertainer nice as the background because i like to think i'm popular but uh <laughs> i there's no de- there's no denying that like you know i just enjoy doing entertainment in any yeah. form so how about you i think mine would be um so i'm thinking more like voltron bogles because i used to play a lot of bogles like in paul from okay. modern um, so I think I would go with Wilson Refined Grizzly just because it's a keyword soupy commander. <laughs> um, so you can play the Bogle stuff. And I thought my mm-hmm. background would be Flaming Fist just because it would be hilarious just to have a bear with Flaming Fist. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. also okay. supporting a Bogles. The other one would be Guild Artisan if I'm referencing myself because, you know, content's a specialised field. Um, working into that. But it didn't really work with Wilson, so we're going with Flaming Fist because Flaming Fist's in a there it just sounds awesome mm. i'm just thinking <laughs> i'm just thinking I, I i'm just gonna ask this out of curiosity the ones that i chose would they have been the ones that you would have chosen for me as well uh i would have chosen popular entertainer for the background um because you're very charismatic okay. i don't know if i would have picked gail i wasn't too sure i'm really thought about the commander um but it makes sense because you play a lot okay. of spell-based stuff so that that, that does track um but yeah popular entertainer was where i was definitely put you in terms of like D&D background the reason that I asked this is because when I was doing this question last night I had thought of ones for you mm. but that wasn't the assignment so I didn't put it down okay. and one was the the artisan one because of the the miniatures and that kind of thing as the background yeah. but I also thought that Ellen Harbury's busybody would be a commander because <laughs> yeah. she's baking yeah. She's constantly baking. <laughs> yeah. And, was, you know, obviously, like, Twitter drama and stuff. Like, let's oh, get yeah. in there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, that did cross my mind. I did have it in the notes earlier, actually, and I just pulled it out because mm-hmm. I wanted something to synergize. So I wanted, like, yeah. Wilson and Flaming Fist made more sense. But, yeah, the baking one makes sense no. as well. Maybe I should get an altar of me instead. That's <laughs> <laughs> a point. Um, and then, lastly, we have a question from Bo Schwartz, uh, and mm-hmm. they have a D&D setting for us. Uh, so as the sun sets over the Sword Coast, we meet Emma of Design and Cervantes standing outside the Elfsong Tavern in Baldur's Gate. Which races and classes are the two adventures? Mm. So I would be a halfling ranger because okay. rangers seem pretty good with the Fitzban update. So I'd probably be a Drake Warden subclass, which means I get a little dragon at level three, which seems sweet. Nice. So is this asking about like what would like most accurately reflect? us or is it the characters that we most like to play i took it as the latter because often i just play bard types and we i think we would just be bards in kind of same yeah if i had to pick anything and like this is oh this is a high that i have not been able to chase in 5e at all right but i started playing in fourth edition and people will roll their eyes at that shut up everybody i loved it (laughs) but there was a class that I loved so much. It was exactly what I wanted to do. And no, I don't want to try and reproduce it with a paladin in some way because it's not the same. And 
One of my favourite characters that I ever was was a long-tooth shifter warden. Wardens were kind of like tank shamans with like terror shields and stuff and they were so cool. And they basically just got right in the thick of it, had like the highest health out of anything and just like became a nuisance for everybody. Like it was like, oh, you want to go over and fight that person? Nope, you're stuck to me. And that was like so much fun. It was like very much like area control Mm. while being a tank and it was so much fun. There's nothing like that in 5e. Not that I found anyway. Now, I, you know, I've done a little bit of research into it and haven't found anything that, that feels the same, you know. But that's what, that's what I would go with. That seems a lot of fun. Paladins aren't fun, I don't find. Yeah. Just smite everything. We know what you're going to do. Yeah. And most of them are lawful boring as well, like, you know. <laughs> Thank you for listening to us here at the BM Cast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Drink Fanatic tier, we have Tom Telford, Anthony Burchett, Christopher McCarthy, Edward Whitney, Evil Vanilla Glaze, Ian Holland, Jeff Eaton, Jonas Kong, Kilgore Trout 503, Matthew O'Neill, Max Makes Magic, MF Peaches, Mini Maya, Munsu Light, Nicholas Martin, Ozan Kaplaner, Scott Hanch, The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Zachary Morrow, and Tim Newman. And at the Stocks tier, we have a nice planeswalker, Alex Gibson, Bo Schwartz Madsen, Brian A. Madden, Coffee, Everett Brogan, Nerblin, Mickey Paris, Scott Creech, Seamus MC, Simon Grip, Jamie Coyle, and Clyde Anderson. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely and wonderful people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagiccast at gmail.com or simply message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck. 